0: Hello, and welcome to Urban Life. I'm Brianna. And I'm Jenna. And, and we are, are your, your hosts. hosts. From 1800 to around 1936, which was the year before the Prohibition, cannabis had quite the tumultuous run. From high praises to condemnation and everything in between. To no surprise, the unfounded claims that halted the use and production of this ubiquitous plant was centered around money, government control, and racial distancing. We would like to take you through a snapshot of this period. We'll try to make it fun, we promise. So let's start off with some good news. By 1850, cannabis
1: made its way into the United States Pharmacopeia. It became readily available in most pharmacies. It was listed as the treatment for numerous afflictions, including pain, inflammation, tetanus, typhus, cholera, alcoholism, opiate addiction leprosy, gout, tonsillitis, insanity, menstrual problems, and tons and tons of others. However, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, the laws were changing on a state-to-state basis, from requiring prescriptions and mandating proper labeling and even recording the information of people that purchased it, and sometimes it was all of the above. These increasing restrictions and the proper labeling of cannabis began in many states from 1906 onward. That was when the passing of the Pure Food and Drug Act happened, and that required all of the contents and the indication that it was a poison, quote-unquote, that had to be apparent on the label.
0: Strangely enough, even with these growing impositions of the 1906 Act, Cannabis cultivation played a central role in the establishment of the United States, which leads us right into our first fun fact of the day. You ready? I'm ready. Did you know that up to a, that up to 1920, cannabis appeared on the ten dollar bill? Did no. you know that? No. Not only was it made from hemp, but the rear image proudly depicted a hemp harvest. We should find one of those. That'd be awesome. That'd That's be like awesome. frame it. Frame it. What up? What?
1: We'll uh, take it to all of our events with us and all of our lectures. And- yeah, yeah, that'd be
0: cool. That'd be cool. In fact, in 1913, the U.S. Department of Agriculture Bureau of Plant Industry. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's really that long. Was able to replicate the quality of cannabis imported from India, and America became self-sufficient in cannabis cultivation. This was extremely beneficial as foreign supplies became interrupted with World War I. Cultivation improved so rapidly that by 1918, some 60,000 pounds were produced annually. These harvests were all from pharmaceutical farms east of the Mississippi. Isn't
1: that cool? That is cool. And it's crazy that that was booming so much because by 1915, it all started to kind of go downhill in other respects. During that time President Wilson signed the Harrison Act which was the model for drug regulations going into the future that imposed penalties for all those that violated those regulations put in place by the Pure Food and Drug Act and all the other state regulations because at this time it was it was kind of up to the states to do their own regulations and this was when the federal government started really getting involved but this was just a revenue producing act And while it provided penalties for the violations, it didn't actually give the states themselves the authority to use any policing power. So there couldn't be any seizure of drugs used in any illicit trades, or it couldn't give a punishment to those responsible. It only allowed the states to impose a fine, but not take any physical action. So it was more of just like a financial slap yeah. on the wrist than, than anything else yeah which
0: is good because you know you do need a little bit of regulation so that you don't have you know any sort of riffraff in the in the mix but um and i'm pretty sure we were reading about the citizens thought that was just enough but then as you start to realize we're going to move into times where that just got more and more um the the growth of cannabis right um so as you're starting to realize everything revolves around money and politics so here goes another mind boggler USDA chief scientist Jason Merrill and Lister Dewey created paper made from hemp pulp. This hemp pulp was environmentally favorable. It could produce more usable product in one acre than 4.1 acres of trees. During growth and manufacturing, it used a fourth of the harsh chemicals and eliminated two sources of pollution completely. Cheaper, more durable, and environmentally friendly. These findings were publicly proclaimed in the book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. So why didn't this take off? Why do we not use hemp paper and save the trees? Money. Hemp had not developed in any country because factories made large investments in equipment to handle cotton, wool, and linen. So the efforts for this positive, intelligent change got sequestered by the powers that be and the major factory owners. That's crazy. Sound familiar? Well, I mean,
1: (laughs) that's crazy because I found something else we're going to talk about a little bit later about the um, timber industry. And I'm really excited to bring it up. But before that, (laughs) let's jump back in time a little bit and talk about the introduction of smokable cannabis to America. Because up until this point, all medicinal uses were either edibles or tinctures, other oils, elixirs and things like that. So at the height of the Mexican Revolution in 1910, there were thousands of refugees crossing the border into America, and with them, they brought a hazy trail of what was soon to be called the Marijuana Menace. These Mexicans often worked as migrant workers and smoked marijuana to relax after long days in the field. Sounds nice. Yeah, yeah. And um, that kind of smokeable cannabis began to spread north, and that's where it was met with Caribbean influences in other transatlantic ports, most notably New Orleans and also New York. They both had a heavy hand in spreading marijuana to America, but that led to the fear and prejudice of the black and Mexican communities that would later become associated with marijuana.
0: Oh, man. Man, we're, no getting, well.
1: we're getting into some...
0: Some stuff. We're getting into the nitty-gritty here, people. We are. And then in 1920, that's when prohibition began. The absence of alcohol may have inadvertently caused popularity of marijuana to grow, as it was cheaper alternative to alcohol and still offered a release from reality. Isn't that funny how that works out? (laughs) Steered him right into it. I know. In 1920, we also saw the upswing of jazz music. Marijuana clubs called T-pads sprang up in every major city. Marijuana was not considered a social threat at the time. It became popular among hepsters and black jazz community made up of hep cats like jazz singer Cab Calloway, who had a hit song Reefer Man. But then going
1: into that later in the nineteen twenties, all these kind of negative tensions that I was talking about grew, especially between small farms and large farms that use cheaper Mexican labor. And shortly after We had the Great Depression, which brought in an increased tensions as jobs and resources became way more scarce. People got scared. People got scared, yeah. And the Mexican roots of American smokable cannabis are super important in this conversation because that's what directly fed into all of those racist fears and stereotypes that were used to make it illegal um, going into the 1930s.
0: Yeah, so, a racial hysteria was basically manifested mm-hmm. at this time, and people were scared, so it was really easy to do so. But um, so, we're moving on. So, in the 1930s now, at least two American companies, Park Davis and Eli Lilly, were selling standardized extracts of marijuana for use as an analgesic, an anospasmodic, and a sedative. Another manufacturer, Grimalt and Company, marketed marijuana cigarettes as a remedy for asthma. How ironic, huh? Yeah, that's funny. Unfortunately, this would come under scrutiny in just a few years with the birth of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. The FBN was headed by a power-hungry bureaucrat named Harry J. Ainslinger, who would go and target marijuana in efforts to assert dominance and broaden the government's push to outlaw all recreational drugs.
1: That's so funny because it's also interesting to note that right around the same time, things took a swift turn for the impending future with um, its medical use. So around that same time, there was the development of aspirin and morphine and all of these other opium-derived drugs that we still use today. And that greatly dampened the use of medical marijuana, because these drugs were developed with the intentions of basically replacing it, some may infer that it wasn't as profitable to have a quote unquote cure all and more profitable to maintain or soothe your afflictions.
0: So let's just recap real fast. So we have new medicines being produced to replace it. Right. We have Ainslinger, who is just looking for a power hungry and put away some sort of drug. He's looking to just power trip. Right. And we have the Great Depression, which is pushing racial distance between the people and it's an easy target to say they brought it here they brought it here that that's what started all of this so you have all of these different emotions that are building up during this very tumultuous time in history um and it's basically leaving society no choice but to turn its back on a plan that has contributed to almost every facet of their lives right when this is happening reefer man reefer madness excuse me comes out this film was designed to. Scared the living daylights out of teens and families. They made it so scary that it was basically if you're smoking weed, you're dying. Media controlling the perception. Hmm. Creating a favorable shift towards less durable materials, fuels, clothes, and less curative medicine. Hmm. Money speaks, I guess. Jenna, this sort of stuff doesn't still happen, right? Right? As your tour guides on the cannabis... We are here to help you trudge through the sludge. I'm Brianna. And I'm Jenna. Thanks for tuning
1: in to Urban Life. And remember, keep it Keefy.